Man-centered theology is natural. We are born worshiping ourselves. Because of original sin, it is in our DNA. We think the world revolves around us. And ultimately, we think God exists for us. Man-centered theology can show up in many different ways. But ultimately, it is the exaltation of man and the belittling of God. Theology matters. It affects the way you think, the way you live, the way you approach others around you. And your theology affects your view of God in your relationship with God. And so this morning, as we look at this next paragraph in this 15th chapter, I want to draw your attention to three topics, if you will, or three, three headings, three points, whatever you want to call them. And we will look at the command, we will look at the cause, and then lastly, we will look at the commitment. The command, the cause, and the commitment. We see the command in the 12th verse. Jesus starts out, actually, he, he begins and He closes with the same command. In verse 12, He says, This is My commandment, that you love one another, how? Just as I have loved you. Points back to a chapter we covered some time ago in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus said that He was introducing a new commandment. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Again, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now the interesting thing about this little paragraph here this morning, uh, that... I'm calling it a chiasm. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But nonetheless, it begins and it ends with a command of loving others, right? If, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Verse 17, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And right in the center of that, you would call that the X, right in the center of that, you have, what does Jesus say? I have called you friends. And I think that's the point that Jesus wants to make in this paragraph. He begins with a command, he ends with a command, and right in the middle he says, this is why I'm commanding you this, because I have called you friends. Now this command here that Jesus is making, uh, it's not the totality of all of Jesus' teaching. It's not the, the end all, if you will, of all his precepts, would be the, another word used there for the commandments but rather it's an example of His commands. It's an example of His, of his teachings. Again, I remind you about context. You hear me use that word over and over and over, and I'm going to be using it quite often this morning, I think, uh, because context is so important. Context is so important. So we must remember that these words were spoken, again, right? You've heard, these words were spoken on Thursday evening, and within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. He will be crucified upon the cross. And so what would be, and he knows this, what would be our final words that we would have for our children? What would be the final words that we would have for our disciples? What would be the final words that we would have for, for church what would be the final words that we have for those who are important to us? And that's exactly the context that this is in. Jesus will literally be laying down His life 
within 24 to 48 hours on behalf of his disciples. That is the context that we must not extrapolate. We must not extract it from that context, but we must keep it in within that framework of what Jesus is saying here. Now, love, love, of course, has many different meanings. And, and you know, we, we, we often hear people want to make a great deal out of the different ways love is, is used in, in the Greek. Um, but, but, but it is somewhat important here that we, we do remember what, how it is said here. And let me just read it for you here, uh, one, one nuance of the word within this context. And one person put it like this, I'm not sure who, I'm not sure which lexicon I was looking at that put it like this, but I, but I really liked it, and so I'm borrowing it. And to put it like this, it says it's, it's to have a strong, a non-sexual affection, of course, and love for a person, and their good as understood by God's moral character. Now, now here, here I believe is, is the key uh, that this, this, this lexicon gave me, that I'm on the right track, and this is what it said, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another's behalf, right? Do we understand what Jesus is saying here when he says, this is my commandment? And you know, it's kind of interesting also, because Jesus says, uh, uh, you are my friends if you do what I say. Now, what kind of friend is that, <laughs> right? You're my friends as long as you do everything that I want you to do, right? And so we got to be really careful how we understand what Jesus is teaching them there and how he's using this here. But one of the things that we must understand that this is all about forfeiting our rights on behalf of another person. Forfeiting our rights on behalf of another person. If we were going to go to the Sermon on the Mount, we could see that Jesus even takes it one step further in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't just love your friends. Don't just lay your life down for your friends, but do it also even for your enemies, even for your enemies. Now, uh, again, this, this paragraph is in the middle of chapter 15, so I want to remind you of what we talked about a little bit last week, and it was all about abiding in Christ. Right? If you abide in me, if you continue, if you remain in me, you are my disciples. And here, in, in these verses here, Jesus is saying, keep on loving each other as I have loved you. So abide in me, keep loving each other next week. Why? Because the world hates you. The world hates you. That's why. It's not my words. It's the words of Jesus. But that'll be, that'll be for next week. But nonetheless, again, I remind you that these words are spoken, are given to his disciples, and by the way of inspiration to us today, within 24 hours of the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus. So second, I, I want you to, to understand the cause of this command. Jesus gave a command here, but it's for a reason. And we want to now look at the cause of this command. And we'll find it in verses 12 through 15 uh, within these, these verses right here, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, I want you to remind you of what Jesus has already communicated to his disciples. All the way back in John chapter 15, in the parable of the Good Shepherd, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, anyone can give a command, right? I mean, I, I, you know, we can give commands all day long. And how much effect do they really have? But Jesus will demonstrate 
He will not only give the command, he will live out the command. He has by, by literally laying down his life, by his life. Now, if you have your Bibles open in front of you, and, and I trust you do, I, I might say that when I got in the habit of, of introducing, I start every Sunday the same way, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. More and more and more I'm hearing those pages turn. What a beautiful sound that is. But, but look there at the Bible in your laps at verse 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now this is another very well-known verse. We know this verse very well, and often we know it because of its association with Memorial Day or, or some other uh, national holiday such as that, or something similar to that. And I certainly do not want to distract, and I certainly do not want to take away from our brave men and women that serve in our armed forces. I don't want to distract from that, but that is not the context that Jesus is speaking these words. That is not at all the context of what Jesus has in mind here. See, sometimes we can become so familiar with the verse used out of context that we forget its actual context. And so that's what I want to look at here just for a little bit, the cause that Jesus is giving this command. And Jesus says, lay down your life. You see it in verse 12, lay down your life, or in verse 13, lay down your life, or someone lays down their life for their friend. Now, the word here, lay down, is voluntarily dying. Literally, it's willing to die. It's willing to voluntarily die on behalf of another. This is exactly what he's saying by laying down your life. I want to go back as a way of a, a cross-reference and, and to drive this point home a little bit. I want to go back or turn forward, if you will, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. To Romans chapter 5, and I'm just going to pull out a few uh, of these verses again to, 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 to kind of make my point here for this morning. And in Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6, where, G, where, where the Apostle Paul is recording this, um, he says, for we were still helpless. We were still helpless, but at the right time, Christ, Jesus, died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though Paul continues, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God, but God demonstrates His own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not, 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 not when we had decided to follow Christ. Not when we decided to surrender our life to Christ. Not when we decided we're going to start being good moral people. But while we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, using the words of our text, while we were still ungodly, Christ Jesus chose to die to die on those he would ultimately call. I want to also draw to your attention 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now John, here in 1 John, is an old man 
But he must have been thinking about this very night that Jesus gave this particular command here in front of us as he was writing those words, as he was writing those words in 1 John. But that, that is what laying down our life is about. Now, the love of Jesus that we are to model is a self-sacrificing in nature, right? We must understand that we can't totally lay down our life like Jesus has. We can't totally do that. See, Jesus, or Jesus' love and Jesus laying down His life, His was infinite, right? His was substitutionary and His was redemptive. We could certainly possibly give our life, push somebody else off the railroad track, if you will, and, and take the train on that person's behalf. But that would only be to spare the life for in the moment, right? It's not substitutionary. It's not redemptive. That's, though, what Jesus has done for those who are his disciples here. In John 13, verse 15, I gave you an example that you should also do as, as I did. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And now this is actually where I want to go this morning. As we think about laying down our life. <clears throat> and what does it mean to lay down our life? Does anyone actually think that they will lay their life down on somebody else's behalf? I mean, sure, we have those who, uh, as I spoke of earlier, you know, that the one versus, you know, those who go in the military, those who are in the police force, those who are willing and take an oath that they will uh, defend life even if it costs them their life. But most realize and most of us would think that, well, we're not actually probably going to be called to do such a thing, though we'd be willing. But what I'm offering to you this morning, is that really how we're supposed to understand what Jesus is commanding the average man and woman here this morning? And I don't think so. I think what he's asking, it's almost a hyperbola. It's, it's almost exaggerating something, though he would certainly ask us to give our life on someone's behalf. But though he's, he, he's actually exaggerating, I, I think, here a little bit, and I think what he wants to get us to is the point that we are willing to deny ourselves, to deny ourselves. And so let's get just a little bit personal here this morning. Huh? Let, let's put a little bit of teeth into this text here this morning. To lay down our life for another is to do the hardest thing imaginable. Huh. Deny yourself. Deny self. We are so in love with oneself that I'm not sure we're very good at denying ourself. And maybe we would even say, maybe I would rather die than actually deny my rights, my wishes, what I deserve, and the things I've worked for, and the things that I have, right? Are we willing to sacrificially deny ourselves on behalf of others? Of others. See, often we read a text such as this and we take it so literally, and I think we should, but that we actually maybe fail a greater point that Jesus is making here for us in 2021. So, <clears throat> read, I want to read verse 14 again. <clears throat> and Jesus says that you are, you are my friend. You see that? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, for, <clears throat> but I have called you friends. But I've called you friends. I mean, think about the words that Jesus is saying in the context of the night that these were spoken and what he means and what he is saying here. 
In James chapter 2, verse 23, is the only place, well, James is referring back to the Old Testament, of course, but it's the only place where somebody's actually called a friend of God. An individual is called a friend of God. And James says, the brother of Jesus, the, the Scriptures was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend, a friend of God. I mean, when you think about uh, Jesus calling his disciples, and again, through inspiration, us also, that Jesus is calling us friend. And it's in this context, as we see how Jesus lived out that relationship, that very night or within the next night, oh, what that should mean on our behalf if our friend would literally do what Jesus has done. It's hard. It's hard to grasp or understand uh, the depth of meaning here, is it not? We too are a friend of God. But, here we got that but word, here we actually got the conditional clause that we found so much over the past few chapters, and that is this if. This if you do, if you do what I command. If you do what I command, verse 17. See, often we want to label ourselves as a friend of Jesus. And we, we may be. And often we want to label ourselves that Jesus gave his life on our behalf. And, and maybe he did. But we often fail to see or acknowledge or read the condition that goes with that. Now, we are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone, for the glory of God alone. As revealed in Scripture alone. i got to get them all five in there, right? <laughs> but you cannot separate our obedience from what God and what Jesus has actually done in our life. Jesus, We're not Jesus' friend because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done, we can be His friend if we do what He commands. See in verse 15. He says, you are no longer slaves. Doulos is not servant. It's literally slave. You are no longer my slave. No. But I call you friend. You are now my, 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 my friend, though I am your master. But I look at you as my, my friend. And he says, why? Because I have revealed, because I have made all things. Everything that the Father has told me, I have passed it on to you. I have passed it on to you. That's why. That's why I can call you friends for all things. For is just um, because. It's just you giving the reason then why he did that. And Jesus says, I didn't hold anything back. I didn't hold anything back from his disciples here. He's specifically talking to the, the 12, the one has already betrayed him, the 11 that are left over. He's speaking specifically to them, first and foremost. He says, I didn't hold anything back from you, but I told you all all things, all things. But, but again, um, let, let's come back um, here to this idea of denying ourselves of and, and, and see the, the cause of it. So uh, of denying ourselves, laying down our life, uh, however you want to put that, and what does it actually mean? And actually what I, what I said is to lay down our life for another is actually the hardest thing that we have to do because it's denying ourselves. So, you know, again, I, I, you know, laying down our life and dying for somebody, sure, but right, 
I mean, I'm not the only one thinking it, right? But do we really literally expect to, to lay down our life for another? Maybe. But what Jesus is saying here uh, is, uh, <laughs> I think, is denying ourself. Because before you can actually lay down your life, you must actually deny yourself. See, and we get this right for the most part when it comes to our kids and in our family, and, and we give up a lot for them. You know, and I was thinking about this the other day because, um, you know, I'm a grandpa now. Do you all know that? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that it has really affected me more. I knew it would affect Cheryl because, well, she's kind of a mushy person like that, but I didn't think it would affect me so much. But I got to tell you, I, I, I'm super, super excited. And uh, once in a while, I get pictures. You know, my little girl, she's starting to get a little belly on her, you know, and, and you know, I see her and Mark together, and they kind of try to pull us into this process through pictures, and as I was pedaling along my bike yesterday, and your mind goes in all kinds of different directions, all of a sudden I remembered. I remembered the time where, where, where my wife was pregnant with this little girl. I called her, I called her um, a little one. That was always my name for her. And I remember I was all the way over in Youngstown, an hour from home, and you know, by the time the secretary got in the office, she called me on the two-way radio. We didn't have any cell phones at the time, right? Hey, your wife is in labor, right? Uh, there it goes, and I remember coming home, and I remember when this little one was born, little cone head all red in the face and red hair to go with it. And I remember the excitement, and now this little one has is, is got a little baby, you know, right? She's pregnant with a baby. And I thought, if anybody would mess with her... <laughs> It's like just. It's like, where does that come from, right? It's like, where, where, I wasn't even thinking in those terms, but this desire to protect those we love. And then I was reminded of what I'm actually preaching on this morning. Could I lay my life down on behalf of somebody who messed with my little one? Uh-huh. Only by the grace of God could I do such a thing, right? But, but, but so we get some of that right. But then I was also re- reminded, and I thought, well, well, okay, this little one that I, I care so greatly about, um, what about this little one's mother sitting right there, right? And, and I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 5 as we think of denying ourselves and, and what does it look like to, to love. I'm trying to bring some application to this, this passage before us this morning, and maybe in a way we haven't necessarily thought of it before. And so I, I thought of Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, or chapter 5, starting in verse 22, right? Where it has this analogy of Christ in the church as, as the church being the bride of Christ. And he, it, and he's making this connection between a husband and a wife and the church and God and the church and Jesus. And he's toggling back and forth between this connection here. And he starts out in the 22nd verse of Ephesians chapter 5. And he says, wise, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that is a, a verse out of, that gets in trouble today in 2021. But it says, wise, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ also loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her, right? This is self-denying. 
This is what Jesus, if, if I have in my mind this grand idea that I am Christian enough, that I am righteous enough, that I am so close to God that I'm willing to lay my life down on behalf of somebody else, but I don't love my wife. And I could ask her for some examples this morning, and she would, she would have plenty of evidence that would put into question if I actually love her or not, right? I mean, I know i got to put myself sometimes in a vulnerable position, but husbands, you're not that good of a husband probably all the time. And yet Jesus here is making that analogy and saying, lay down your life for somebody else when it's so hard to lay down our life for those right here in front of us. He continues on and he says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. And here he's getting over into the church. But then he continues on. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever ate his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. But just as Christ also does the church. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul's like, oh yeah, wait a minute, I'm talking about the church though. <laughs> this is a great mystery, he says. Yes, Paul, you weren't even married probably. It is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love their own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see that she respects her husband. Husbands, you want respect from your wife? Then love her. Wives, you want respect from your husband? <laughs> or you want love from your husband? Respect him. Respect him. See, Jesus says we're supposed to lay down our life for our friends. And sometimes we look at it so far out there that we fail to bring it right here, right here in front of us on how that may be and how Jesus may be manifesting that before us. And I want to go one other place just to uh, continue to, to layer on to this, if you will. And I want to also go, since Jesus here, is to, or Paul here is making this analogy between uh, the wife and the church, or, or himself, Jesus and the church, and the husband and the wife. I want to go to the church a little bit, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Because we think about the people of God as now the ecclesia, the congregation, as the as chosen, as the people of God is now the church here in the New Testament. And so we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we see where this is laid out and spelled out. And, and, and in Corinthians, this church had all kinds of in issues within the church. And there was all kinds of fussing and fighting and feuding that goes along when anytime there's more than one or two people together. And so Paul has given some instructions here. Um, uh, 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 God is working through Paul to lay down these here instructions. And in, ver in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has known anything yet. And he's talking about the, the idol temples where, where animals were sacrificed to dumb idols, as he says. And some people say, hey, I can't eat that stuff because it was sacrificed to idols. Well, Paul says, well, we, we know that means nothing. But he goes on and he says, but this is what I want you to do, church. If it offends the weaker brother, if they see you eating that meat because they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the maturity yet that you have, don't eat the meat. Am I supposed to eat a salad? Yeah, maybe, evidently, right? Well, that's that person's problem. They need to grow up. They need to mature a little bit, right? Isn't that my approach so often? But I'm willing to lay down my life. 
I'm making fun of myself. Right? And he goes on, and he says in verses um, 12 and 13, And so by sinning against the brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin. Against who? Against the brother? Against the church? Against yourself? Against Christ. You sin against Christ. Therefore, Paul says, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. This is why. So that. This is why he says that. So I will not cause my brother to stumble. Listen, church. I put myself at the head of the line that I need to be careful in my liberties and what my great knowledge and understanding that I so think I have. And in the process, I'm not offending. But I'm willing to lay down my life on behalf of somebody else. Right? That's the command. That's the command Jesus is giving us. Lay down your life. Okay? That's the way I... Let's bring it closer. Deny self. That can be so hard. And you know what? It'd be so easy to draw current analogies within our current situation of this pandemic on how maybe we're not loving each other. But I won't even go there. That's the command. Love each other. And that's why Jesus is saying, because I have loved you. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives us a commitment. He gives us a commitment. And I'll end with this. In um, 16th verse, we'll look at the commitment. John chapter 15, verse 16. Let me put it before you again. Jesus says this. He says, you did not choose me, but I, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He may give it to you. Again, I remind you of First John, John's epistle, John's letters, where he says, we love because Jesus first loved us. Romans 5, 8, right? I already read it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we think of what Jesus is telling them here. It's the same thing that God told the Israelites all the way back in Deuteronomy when he chose the tri- when he chose this little tribe. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, he says that Yahweh did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. But Yahweh loved you. That's why he chose you. And see, what we must understand, that it all starts with God. It all starts with God. It is God who does the choosing. It is God who does the saving. It is God who does the redeeming. It is God who does the appointing. We love others when they meet our standard, when they live up to our expectations. But God loves us before we're even capable of meeting His standards. That is what He's asking us to do. But the commitment, back to the commitment. You did not choose God. God chose you. God saved you on purpose, and God saved you for a purpose. Now, 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 the interesting thing here uh, with, with our little uh, paragraph here, um, we have a same word here <clears throat> that we're going to have to look at just a little bit. See, in verse 13, I kind of made a big deal about laying down your life, right? 
the exact same word in Greek. It's the exact same word here, but it's translated here as appointed. Same word, exactly the same word. Well, what are we supposed to make of that? How are we supposed to, to, to see that? Well, to, to appoint is just to assign a task, right? Or assign a, a function to someone. Just like laying down, you can also lay something down in a specific location or in a general location. But here meaning, meaning death. Well, what's the play on the words here? To lay down his life is a very broad. It's very broad. It's a very general term. And here he hones in just a little bit with using and changing the word here to appointment. See, appointed gets more specific. It's that, in order that, so that. That's how we're supposed to understand it. God chose you and appointed you so that you go and bear fruit, right? So that you lay down. So you lay things down. This is the specific reason why he wants you to lay down your life. This is the specific, getting very general now. This is the specific reason why he's appointed you. Why he himself has laid his life down on your behalf and he wants you to do the same thing on behalf of others. It's because he has appointed you for a purpose and for a reason. And it is that you bear fruit. That you and I go and we bear fruit. How do we do that? We got into that a little bit last week. Whatever you ask, he says, has conditions. This is not a blank slate. It's not a genie in the bottle, right? It's ask in the context as Jesus were to ask the Father. What is the fruit we talked about the last week? It's righteousness. It's that we get closer. We abide in Christ. We stay connected in Christ. We remain in Christ for our righteousness. Now, Jesus here is saying, since you have matured, since you have stayed true to the vine, you go and bear fruit. You go, right? You go and bear fruit and pray to the Father that the Father would bring that fruit. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here this morning. So many times our prayers are man-centered and they need to be fruit-centered, fruit in the sense of the saving of souls, right? The saving of souls. That's Jesus' concern. That's what he cares about. The lost, the ungodly. If indeed you are a child of God, you are a child of God on purpose, for purpose, go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. Go and pick the fruit. Jesus says the fields are ripe. So the command, whatever you ask in my name, as if I, Jesus, were asking, and the Father will give it. Will give it. Abiding in Christ yields fruit of righteousness. Therefore, you have been appointed to go. To go into the world, as we'll see next week, that hates you and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Again, within 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. And these are the final words he's given his disciples. And they're for us also. They're for us also. Father, I pray that as we think about what it looks like to lay down our life. Father, we are indeed to lay down our life for, for those you would ask us to. Lord, I don't even know what that looks like completely. I don't even know what that would look like to do such a thing. But Father, we can go back through the through history and see where martyrs have done that and 
Maybe in some countries they're still doing that, laying down their life on behalf of someone else for the faith. Uh, but Father, for us here in, in 2021 here in Westover, Maryland, uh, Father, that, that may very well look like denying myself, loving my wife as you loved the church, loving church members as you love the church. Father, putting aside my wants, my wishes, my desires, me, 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 putting it aside for, for others. And so, Father, I pray um, that as these words sink in, uh, Father, those words that are from you, may they find their root. And those that are not, may they extract them from our memory. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.